Thanks. Well, Sebastian and Emiliano, his brother is here, and um, their mom, Mercedes. If anybody knows Mercedes, she's a dynamic woman, so um, she taught me how to be a youth pastor. She used to say, how come my boys will come serve you at the youth meeting, but they won't serve me in the morning cleaning up the house? <laughs> so, so my job was to go hang out with them at the house while they did their chores before they could come with me. But they were, they were little, and they're great guys. All right, um, this, year, this year is emotional just to look at all of you, um, just to, to get a chance to see all the faces and the different people for me. There's a, a lot of key people in my life. Some, some people are very lucky if they ever have anybody in their lives that love them or champion them, but there are, there are more than dozens. Like There are scores and scores of people in this room. and So it, it feels a little torturous to walk by a lot of you and to get two minutes with you. And so um, at this, I get to have a conversation with all of you. It's just one way. So, <laughs> so in, in rerouting, uh, the story that first came to mind uh, as far as rerouting uh, that, that I love as far as rerouting is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He used to preach a message and he was talking about um, Jesus' parents going up to the feast and bringing Jesus as a boy with them and that they get about a day's ride out, out of town, he says, and they realize that they left something mighty precious behind, is what Dr. King said. And, uh, and then he would switch over to a story about him where he was trying to get from New York City to Boston and he was the, taking the Merritt Parkway, would that be right? Is that in those days, and he gets lost, and he's short for time, so he stops at a service station, and, and he says to the guy, like, what do I need to do? And the guy says, well, you blew it. You, you're going to have to go all the way back to this place in order to get where you want to go. And he said, both for Jesus' parents and for him that day, he needed to go backwards in order to get forward to where he wanted to go. And I, I love that one. What he was saying is that we as the church have left some mighty precious cargo behind. We've left Jesus behind in certain ways. We'll have to go get it. I love that story. I think it's a great metaphor. But I don't think it applies to us much this year. I just like to tell that one. So um, the story that I, I do think about as far as our rerouting is, um, is the road to Emmaus. And so if you guys would turn to the book of Luke in chapter 24... And verses 13 through 35. So Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And I'll just start reading it. You guys can catch up. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And you guys know what had just happened. Uh, disaster had just happened, right? And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And that would be a pretty big deal in that story. You know, like they are really dealing with the loss of Jesus and who walks up but Jesus, you know. Of course, it didn't change things for them because uh, they were kept from recognizing him is what it says. They were kept from recognizing him. So he asked them, uh, what are you discussing together as you walk along? It's a good coaching question. And they stood still, their faces downcast. And, and the downcast part is interesting. It, it's disappointment. Um, it's a feeling of dissatisfaction that follows the failure of expectations or hopes to manifest. So they're, they're dealing with this. They're, they're in the middle of that. And one of them named Cloppus asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? 
Now, what things, he asked. And go Jesus, right? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. (laughs) I wonder (laughs) how tired Jesus gets of religious people lecturing him on what he's like. (laughs) Sorry, it's just funny. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us, uh, well, I'm sorry, I said, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he says to them, and I wonder how they took this from this guy, who apparently is clueless from their perspective, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus corrects their ignorance, their unbelief, and their slowness of thought. That's what he goes after. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and with those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them uh, when he broke the bread. So for me, this is a better fit than the Dr. King story as far as rerouting. And it's a little, it's a little bit of a different way to took take it, but we too face a moment, and this may not be you guys, but it is certainly within Christian culture right now, so the guys that are around us, but we too face a moment in which it is easy for many Christians to feel discouraged as it is really, really clear that the world is changing and that we in the U.S. are now in a post-Christian situation. Christendom is over. So it is really, really, really easy for there to be a lot of people crying out, oh, if revival would come, and oh, if God would move again like he did before. And, and that's, that's a lot of what we hear. But just as it was for the two men on the road, although the outward appearance looks grim, um, Jesus, I believe today for all of us, is challenging us just the way he challenged them for us to overcome a little bit of ignorance and, and a little bit of unbelief maybe a little bit more than a little bit, and, and some slow thinking, to be honest with you. And, and we're a good group of thinkers, you know. But what if Jesus, what if this isn't the worst moment? What if this is the best moment? What if where we came from wasn't what it was all about, but was preparation for the agility we would need for this exact moment where Jesus is moving in power and amazing things are happening, if, if we could just open our eyes to see it. What if that was the case, you know? And it reminds me of the sons of Ishakar who understood the times. And so the question for us sometimes isn't necessarily just 
that our pathway needs to change, but it's that our hearts need to change or our eyes need to change to see something we don't see, to hear something we don't hear so we can go somewhere that we've never gone. And um, it, it makes me think a little bit of the book of Luke that we took that from and also the book of Acts because um, Luke was written you know, somewhere between 80 and 110. And we don't think about this, but Luke was written because they too at that time were struggling a little bit. Things had not quite gone the way that they thought it would go. You know, think about it. If you were in the company of Jesus or the book of Acts, I don't know how it gets better than those times. I mean, I, I'm sure that we've gone through some good stuff, but that was pretty cool. But by this point, Jerusalem is leveled by this point, the apostles are dead. And you know what they're thinking? What they were thinking was, it didn't go the way we thought it would go. And so Luke, in a beautiful way, writes these two books. And you know what he says? What he's saying passionately is, no, it went exactly the way it was supposed to go. It went exactly the way it's supposed to go. And look at this, you know. And, and I think that could be exactly what we need to see, um, Today, the Holy Spirit is moving as powerfully as ever, but it's different. It's not through the cassette tape revolution right now, because it's really hard to find a cassette tape player, and if you do, the cassettes sound weird, and you actually hear like three voices at once, and, and then try eight tracks. Just kidding. You guys, sorry, younger guys, sorry. Um, it isn't right now through stadiums where men are taking their, sh their shoes off in simultaneity. That's not the way it's happening all the time these days. Um, even, yeah, I won't say what I was going to say. Uh, these things still happen, but they're not um, to this moment what they were to those moments, okay? Dr. Dow Robinson, who, if you guys are newer to being here, he was, a, he was not the tallest guy among us, but um, man, he was spicy. And uh, I, I know he was, for me, he was like having Yoda, our Yoda here. And, yeah, he was all of them, right? <laughs> you know? um, and he was fun. And he, he said one year, I think it was when we were in Baltimore, he said, I'm not going to try to, I want to try to do his voice because it was a cool voice. But he, he kind of said something like, um, he said, the Holy Spirit is broken out of the church. And he said, he's out on the streets and there's no way we can get him back in. <laughs> and Dow was on to something. Dow had seen Jesus show up in ways in Aztec villages that didn't look like what we had experienced back here in the 60s and 70s, and he knew how to see it. Sometimes you'd be in a room with Dow, and he'd be like, wow, the Holy Spirit just walked in the room a few minutes ago. And I was like, he did? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> um, but it, it's really true that we do now live in a culture and a society that needs missionaries sent here as much as we need to send missionaries. We haven't totally come to grips with that reality, but it's true. It is true. Um, but rather than this being a cause for hopelessness, it's an actual clue into how we are being rerouted, okay? It's an actual clue into what, where we're looking the wrong way and looking at the wrong things. And um, Jesus is walking on the road with us, but we very much need for him to touch our spiritual eyes to help him recognize his movements. Uh, there was a book back in around 98 called The Missional Church, which is a great book. It's a group of academics that all wrote together. It's a little high level, but it's good stuff. But one of the authors, Alan Roxburgh, he's uh, born in the UK, but he's Canadian. He, he said this quote just recently, just a few months ago. He said, we are all watching a bit of an unraveling of the way things have worked for so many years, not only in the church, but across the world, 
and across society. The way it was 10 or 15 years ago is not the way it is today. At the same time, so many of us are seeing a bubbling up of instances of God moving and acting all around us in everyday ways and things. Where most of these things seem to be happening are in the local. God appears to be moving and inviting us to join him in what he is doing in the ordinary spaces of our local communities. And the secret to joining God in this unraveling, the secret of discovering what God is up to in this bubbling, is to say, how do we begin to create spaces and environments that invite each other in the ordinariness of our day, in the ordinariness of our lives, to become, to become God's missionary people in our local context? So things have changed a little bit. And for a long time, we would get up here and push each other towards evangelism as if it was an option. But we've reached a moment where it's just not an option. Like, if you want to be with Jesus where he's moving, we will have to learn how to go out into our everyday worlds. And we'll have to engage our everyday neighborhoods. Because he is moving there. And we can continue to wait in the auditorium but, but he's out there, like Dr. Dow told us. And there's not a tremendous amount of integrity for us to send missionaries to countries who didn't know how to reach their own neighborhoods. It it's just means some of the agility will be missing. So I want to give you a list, uh, a quick list, of six places that the Lord is moving in our local situations and places where we as churches or as individuals or as families can find him. And then I just want to give you three examples of that, and then I'll get out of the way and Kevin will get up here. So, um, one thing to just recognize is that God is ascending God who so loved the world that he sent his son, who sent the Holy Spirit, who sends us. That's just the reality. And so one of the things that can happen is if you wonder, where's Jesus, why is he not moving, but you're not going with ascending God, that could be a clue. That could be a clue. If you sit back waiting for stuff to come for you instead of going out with the sending God and you feel like things are horrible and the problem is those unbelievers and you find yourself wrapping yourself in a news channel, there's no wonder that we're missing him. There's no wonder that we're missing him. Um, you want it, we have to follow him to get him. So number one area, we have to become a community of contrast. Okay. We have to, it was different. In the old days, in the towns where you, some of you guys grew up, everybody pretty much knew what it was to be a Christian. And it was just a question of what were they going to do with it, and you just had to come up next to them and talk about it. But it's not like that today. It's, the people that are living around you, they have no concept of what Christianity is. And so the challenges are completely different. So uh, we, to a world that's trapped in self-centeredness and lonely isolation, we have to present a clear alternate way of life. And we do this by living out another way to be human, witnessing to the power and presence of God's reign as love, hope, forgiveness, mutual accountability, and hospitality are palpable in our lives and relationships. If we can learn to follow Jesus into living in clear contrast, we'll start to see God moving all the time in those relationships. How many of you think that if Jesus walked into your neighborhood, people would notice? He would. How much like him are we? You know? and, and that's a really exciting thing to think about. How much like him could we be? Those who claim to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So number one is we have to become a community of contrast. 
And a lot of times when we're sitting and criticizing and wondering how we can beat those guys, there is no contrast in that to the world. And, and the reason that you're not seeing a bunch of fish jumping in the boat is, is the, the bait's wrong. So we have to become a community of contrast. Two, serving. So that's not new for us. This is a group that learned how to serve, and as a great man was walking through, he learned how to open the door just in time so he didn't break stride. But guess what's changed? Guess who we're serving now? A dying world. A dying world. Um, Age-old evangelism, our old type of evangelism, doesn't impact them the same way anymore because it only looks to them like we're doing the same thing any other group would do. We need more numbers. We need more finances. We need more people to do our, the, our thing, right? But when you come into a community and you empty yourself, when you walk into your neighbor's life and you empty yourself, and without this agenda of getting a notch on your belt or a convert to your church, you start to love and serve and learn how to care for them and help them make it to their dreams, you will see Jesus show up. He's right there. He, he's right there every time. He's just right there. Yeah. Another one, number three, is unifying. And I think this one is really about our character. Sometimes when we're not doing really, really well, the way that we differentiate ourselves or try to demonstrate who we are is that we're better than that group or we're different than this thing. And the only thing is that for the world these days, it just doesn't work. It's one of the reasons this group is so important. Uh, I find, and I think Chris would say this for our community, and I remember when we were in San Antonio, we felt this way with Randy. I find that our participation in each other's lives here um, adds to our ability to reach people out there. Younger men and younger women love the fact that we're connected to something bigger than just our thing. And so when you're connected to something bigger, it, it, it reeks of the kingdom. Something larger is happening. But it's not just true with people who are just like us in this group. It's also true in your city. When you can start to participate meaningfully with things that are happening in your city, with groups that aren't of the same stripes, and I don't mean to change or, or to dilute doctrinal realities, but I mean just to get involved and see where people have gifts and to fight for people. It works. It works. Collaboration and connection with other churches in the community. That's a place where you'll see Jesus show up. Number four, and this is a... Um, yeah, number four, lay leader launching. In the early church, when the church had no status in society and was marginalized, a situation much like ours today, it was individual believers that made the difference and not the church speaking from a place of influence. It was an underground movement. And this is a big switch for us because we live in a time in which the consumer culture has infiltrated our own churches and even our own hearts as leaders. And we have to shift from our people being ministry consuming to be ministry producing. And, and you know what that says? It, it's kind of weird, because you could come to this conference each year and say, there's nine slots, I never get to speak, why do I go? But, but it's different. This isn't a time of hero leaders. This is a time of collaborative teams, communities of discernment that are flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit, where if you don't get to speak, that's great. The truth is, if you look across this room, every one of us could share but go live something so dramatic that the stories of what are happening in your community are so great that nobody can keep you from speaking. You know, that we used to, Dow would come to conferences sometimes and, and we wouldn't have him on speaking in a time and groups would start to form around him between sessions. You know? Like, you don't need a session to be heard. 
Uh, when enough happens, people will hear it. But, but how can you not just be about, oh, I go to that church because it's cool, or I'm, oh, that conference was great because they, they met me. How do we get from this to this? And, and how beautiful to think that every single person here you're really made to be dynamic. Christ in you is the hope of glory. What God has put inside you, James, is so unique. And, and if we could all find that in, internal integrity to know who we are, then the external integration of what we become starts to be exponential and exciting. And, um, but that doesn't come from you looking to be served. That comes from you saying, I'm in the game. I'm in the game. Um, I, I liked to come here when I was young. Uh, just have to start saying that. Um, I liked because I would watch these guys and think, I want that. I remember back in Peachtree City saying to Paul, hey, what happened for you guys, a little bit of it's happening with me. We have this home group that on Tuesday nights goes till two in the morning and comes in waves, you know. And, and, and the older guys would always be so encouraging because, of course, they wanted to see that happening in a younger leader. So that's what this place is for. If you're coming here just to consume Oh my gosh, you know, the, don't. But if you're coming here because you sense that you're part of something really exciting, that is really dynamic, this is the perfect place to be. It's wonderful. Uh, lay, lean, lay leader launching. How can we get our younger leaders off the bench? How can we take them with us into the wild adventure of this mission we are in so that they're building their friendships around action and ministry, seeing the power of God move, rather than gathering to hang out? The purposes of God are born out of fellowship, but it's also true that there's great fellowship for those who walk on water. Cool thing about being missional is that if, if it's all about meetings, you know, I've come that you might have meetings and that you might have them more abundantly, only a few people get to shine in the meetings. But every one of us have neighbors. Like, what's going on with your neighbors? You know, every one of us have our workplaces. What's going on in your workplace? You know, this is a country in need of missionaries how do we mobilize our people to function and develop, and develop these missionary encounters? So, and Jesus is there. He's there. Okay, you're not going to like this one. Number five, suffering. Ah, yeah. The early church and the church today in so many parts of the world has seen the power of suffering in the growth of their people, both in sanctification and gospel witness. Jackie Pullinger wrote Chasing the Dragon, which I love. She comes back and people say to her, I'm so sorry that you're going through suffering. And she says, I'm so sorry you're not. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny. But uh, a lot of times you're not going through suffering because you're not putting yourself in the environment. You know, well, I can't reach my neighbor. They're very closed. Do you know what that is code word for? My neighbor engaging them won't be comfortable. It will require me to suffer the uncomfortability of it. Now you get to suffer, you know. <laughs> It's, it's not really that you live in a different hemisphere that's keeping you from suffering. It's Netflix. Yeah, you're watching somebody else do fake things that a writer never did with a director who never did it, with actors who never did it, and then you're coming away with a swell of accomplishment. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Come on. Jesus is alive. He's there. Lord, open our eyes. But the ability to walk out, this is another thing. The moment that somebody attacks us, we start talking lawsuits. We're going to form a political action committee. And I, I'm not going to get into all that, but we aren't armed to suffer. We're not prepared to follow the suffering servant into the places of impact. And so we're talking about Jesus being having left the building, and the truth is we just didn't enter the building. So 
um, we will have to change. To be a community of contrast, we cannot whine about suffering. It's just not going to work. And the truth is, is if we all also use the word community to mean that we're going to develop people that are just like us that we'll cling to instead of going out, um, that, that also is why we miss him too. One time a group of kids from the Texas Covenant Church were at a camp and I said, I read a story of martyrdom and I said, are you prepared to suffer like that? And they'll put their hands up like Houston guys. And then I said, okay, how many of you on Monday morning after the camp when it's 6 a.m. and your alarm goes off to have your quiet time, how many of you will hit the alarm five times? I said, if you can't suffer your alarm, you might not be ready to take, face the fire. But the world is watching us. I, I was an atheist. Nobody ever told me about Jesus until Jesus showed up when I was 16. And I used to attack Christians, the ones I met, um, just because I hoped one day one of them would put me in my place. I wanted something stronger, but we're not stronger, and they know it. They're speaking prophetically to us that we're not who we say we are. But Jesus is, and he is right there, and if you meet him there, you'll find him. Number six, a community of the word, a prophetic community. It's not enough just to be present. We have to not only do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do, but to say what the Holy Spirit tells us to say. While it's true that we can help ourselves a great deal by living out um, his word and incarnating it so that our neighbors and coworkers see it and touch it as an attractive gospel, there's still a moment where you have to speak the words of life and being really ready for that moment. It's a different age. If you go out just preaching to a group that doesn't believe in truth and meaning doesn't mean the same thing, if you just go out with words, you're not going to do it. But if you will go out with your life and love people, there will come a moment where they say, how are you doing that? How is that happening? Why is my heart burning when I'm with you? And when you're ready to present the gospel in that moment, it gets pretty exciting. Okay. I want to give you um, three quick stories. One, one is that Robert has been talking to us about this for many years as far as Patrick is a model, that rather than being cathedral-based, being Abbey-based. How do we go into communities and provide something that's of value and of impact and then watch as the relationships are growing, people coming to the gospel? And Robert came to us in Atlanta and did a lot of working with us, uh, Chris and I, just to talk about what we could see happen and what was possible. It's really been exciting, and I, I say this as a, first of all, thank you, Robert, for being persistent in that. But, um, but Chris also and the elders in, in Atlanta really took uh, that and, and allowed um, for a lot of really exciting things to do. We, we took our leaders, uh, we have like 50 leaders in the church through kind of some leadership training just to get the foundations right, to make sure that we were leaning towards these things. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to care for the disciples we have? What does it mean to go and make new disciples? But then uh, we launched a thing called uh, Be Missional for All of Our People. How do you love Jesus with all your heart? How do you love your neighbor? The way we'll change our city is if everybody loves their neighbor. You know, if all the churches would love their neighbors, it could get pretty exciting. Then how do we learn how to do that really in creative ways together? And we went on from there. It's getting exciting and we're, we're seeing our church start to to step out into beautiful stories of, of reaching our neighbors. And it's impacting our home groups and it's, it's impacting our leaders. It will take time. Uh, we've been a church that's been around since the early 70s, so we're turning a large boat. But uh, through persistence and dedication, we are seeing Jesus show up and we're seeing hearts be refreshed as we do it. Um, going slow, I'm going to cut the second part. Um, well, I'll do it. Would you throw that up there real quick? 
This is a model that we're using as well and mobilizing people and we're equipping churches to do where we're selecting neighborhoods in the city that are economically disadvantaged. And we're choosing ones that are really ugly. Sometimes you can go into a slum, but it looks pretty. And because we're mobilizing young people, we need it to look ugly so they get inspired. But once we choose that, then we go to the next slide. We develop a team that is seeking the Lord and really going after him with their whole hearts. And they are trying to live out Acts 2.42 together, but also to live out missionally. And then in the next piece, we go out into the the local universities, uh, into the corporate social responsibility departments. We used to only attract volunteers who were Christians, but we started to realize it didn't really matter. A lot of people called themselves Christians, but they weren't that sensitive. So we bring in non-Christians to be volunteers to go do our outreach. I know, you can talk to me later about it. But what we find is a lot of volunteers meet Jesus. Sergio is here, who's the leader of Boy the Ball in San Antonio. And we met Sergio, he was a volunteer from Incarnate Word University. So it's a whole nother outreach, which is really exciting. And if you walk into universities today and say, do you want to make a difference in the world? Um, it's like you're selling crack. I mean, like, yes, I, of course I do. So then the next thing is then we go out into difficult communities and knock on every single door and get to know every single person and family. In the beginning, do they think you're weird? Yes. But then when you're to the fifth time, they're intrigued. To the 15th time, they're weirded out still. 20th time now, they're starting to say, hey, 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 you're late. I wanted to tell you something. What we basically do is we start to act like we're the staff of a of a megachurch for a slum, just showing up and knowing every story, every situation, every part. And then from there on, go to the next slide, we start mentoring relationships where we have a great team member, a volunteer, who was a single mom and there's a single mom. Or we have a hiring manager for Chick-fil-A and a young guy trying to get a job. And we just start connecting these resources in a community and that leads to the final one, which is then small groups start to show up. And English is second language groups. and and tutoring centers, and women's groups, and it's, it's really, really exciting. And it leads to the final piece, which go one more slide, which is the community starts to change. Then what's really interesting is the whole community starts to come around and say, how are our slums changing in our city? And the city governments want to talk and stuff like that. Now that's unique and kind of silly, though we can help equip groups to do that. But that's another way. But the way that I really want to, you can turn that one off. I really want to talk about Matt. And Matt, I may totally butcher this story, and you're not going to be comfortable at all with me saying this, but when we were out at the planning meetings, uh, Matt and Philip and I were sitting out on his hill, um, and, uh, and he was telling a story about in his workplace. You guys all know that Matt, um, well, you heard the story, for goodness sake, that Matt has a, a consultancy. And so Matt was telling a story where he said, you know, about a year ago, I just said to all my employees, um, hey, let's just focus this, focus this year on being generous, like just... It's not a lot of fanfare, just go out and find some way to, you know, to be generous. And so, so he didn't, you know, he, he kind of kept it up a little bit and stuff like that. But then all of a sudden he started to hear stories coming back and, um, and different things. One of his employees started picking up cancer patients on the weekends and taking them to their, you know, their treatment and then taking them out to lunch. And, and he heard about that and then there was... Um, his chief of... His administrator is a, a lady who's got a black belt and uh, she comes to him and she says, um, hey, uh, you know, I'm at my dojo, there's this kid who's kind of from a difficult situation and it's really helping him being a part of all this, but his family can't afford it. So she says to him, hey, could we, like, could we cover like, his, his tuition or his ability? And Matt, being a shrewd businessman, says, why don't you go back to the dojo and see if they'll split it with us, which I think is great because being shrewd in the middle of being generous is awesome. 
That's one of the things. We're, we're sort of naive about the way we do generosity, and we need to get good at it. Loving takes skill. I'm learning with my wife that loving takes some skill. So, so then it works, and it's really great. But then she says, she says, you know, I was Google searching all my coworkers because she says, because you got to know who you're working with. <laughs> it's funny. And she says, I kind of found you online, and she found the church website. And she says, um, and I listened to you. You have a message. You spoke at your church, you know. And so she sits and she listens to his entire sermon, you know, like, and she has questions for him, which I think is awesome. So then. Then he has another, he has one of the coworkers and his wife over and they're spending time out on the hill and, and the wife kind of says like his whole life has basically changed since he's been there with you. And he's like, yeah. And she says, he's reading the Old Testament or he's listening to the Old Testament on, you know, on, on, not tape, but and so Matt's great. Matt's like, why? <laughs> to the guy, you can hear that from Matt, right? And the guy just said, I don't know. I guess I just really want to know what truth is, you know? And so then she goes down the hill, she's with Heather, but he's with the guy, and the guy's like, no, my marriage is changing, everything's changing. And so Matt's talking about all this, and I said, what you've just done is you've just led your staff into agape love. They don't know Jesus, but they're touching agape love, and now they're really getting closer to you, and that's beautiful. You know, for so long, the church's only conversation in our neighborhoods has been us, 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 me, 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 me. But the truth is, those of you who are working in your work sites, you're positioned for amazing things to happen like that. And if our churches could be equipping all these lay leaders to go out and have these missionary encounters in these diverse workplaces, how cool is that, right? <laughs> but then, um, but there's so much fun you can have. So I, I guess I would just say this. When I first met you guys, I came from the world into this place, and I just thought, this is the best group of people I've ever been around in my life. If I could just take you to every rough neighborhood, we would change the world in about 15 minutes. And then I thought, that was kind of a dumb thought. That's not going to happen. But now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I think the truth is, is we'll have to get out there. If your church is irrelevant to your local community, that's a problem. We did a walkthrough in our community to go talk about a children's camp, and one of the neighbors said, oh, now you come. She said, I've lived behind your church for like 10 years. No Bible studies, no nothing. Nothing in my community. So while we're sitting here waiting for another great group of meetings, while we're, while we're waiting for Jesus to show up and give us goosies, as Jennifer Lopez says, what if it's all happening and it's just out there and we've got to put on our running shoes and we've got to look to see it. And I know that we're spe I'm speaking to a group where you're seeing a lot of that, but we'll have to get good at it now. And if we do, um, our eyes will open and we'll see Jesus. So thank you. Thank you.